0: episode was brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Dave, Greg Bench, Ryan, Dan, Ian Urza, Ken, James, Ashley, Gregor Morrison, Earl, Raul, Joel, Greg Russell, Brian, Stefan, Amy, Ian West, and Dre. Stick around for an extended shout-out at the end. Now into the episode. Welcome to another episode of Father and Son Watch Horror Movies. I am your co-host, the Father, aka Pastor Matt,
1: and I am joined, as always, by my trusty sidekick, Jackson, the sun, and I gotta say right off the top, the design of the stair people is so unrealistic. I haven't gone outside my dorm room or even seen sunlight in a few months, and I'm sure I'm covered in pale, peeling skin, and I feel compelled to flick flashlights on and off every now and then, but I've yet to cannibalize anyone. Yet. <laughs> yet. Yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanksgiving's coming, so you, you don't know. So
0: we are a spoiler podcast. We do spoil the movies we discuss, and today we are going back 30 years... can't believe it's been that long to a film by the late great Wes Craven the people under the stairs in every neighborhood there is one house that adults whisper about and children cross the street to avoid now Wes Craven creator of a nightmare on Elm Street takes you inside Something's
2: in there. We gotta get out of here, Leroy. All sorts of rumors about what goes on in that house. The police never took it serious. She's been feeding that thing between the walls again. Very, very tense about this. Ah! What goes on in this house is a sin. Ah! But what goes on under the stairs
0: is a nightmare. West Cravens, the people under the stairs. To do this right, we called in a fan of this movie and somebody who was just on our last episode. If you're listening, it's been a couple of weeks since we recorded. But the Gill Man, Joel Robertson. How are you, sir?
3: I am so happy to be here. I also think you guys are a couple of masochists to have me on twice in a row. (laughs) Or maybe you're sadists, if you consider your audience has to sit through it. But other than that, I am super stoked to be here.
0: Oh, no, no, not at all. So the people under the stairs. The IMDb synopsis is interesting, as you would imagine. It reads, two adults and a juvenile break into a house occupied by a brother and sister. Well, they give away a twist there. And their stolen children. There they must fight for their lives. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I guess they watched some of it. Yeah, Yeah. ballpark, yeah. Yeah. Um, So, Joel, you know, when we were going through what we are going to do for Thanksgiving, you know, I'm kind of fixated on doing kind of weird, dysfunctional horror families. And so I knew this had an anniversary. It's a 30-year anniversary. And I know you love this movie, so we offered it up to you. But when did you first see it?
3: Well, um, first of all, I would also like to say that I love that uh, other than the Halloween Kills review, which was timely and on, on the spot, the all the shows I've done with you guys, I think, have been on, on some of my all-time favorite horror films. So I really appreciate you giving me the opportunity to uh, discuss this one because it is up there for me, way up there. Um, I saw this, I believe it was opening weekend, 1991. My dad took me to see it. Wow. Yeah. And uh my dad my, my dad, my dad was cool. My dad had his moments. <laughs> did you <laughs> so, did
0: you rat did you rat him out for this? Uh or? for
3: that particular one, do enough. No, I don't think I did. I think you know what it was? I think that was the year if I, I'd have to do the math in my head because I think I was 15, 14, 15. So I think by that point, most of the ratting out came like when I was like, you know, 10, 11, 12, <laughs> that you know, that time frame. Once yeah. I went through puberty, I was like, okay, if I'm gonna be ratting him out, I'm gonna be that's gonna be constant. So I wasn't gonna do that to him. But uh, he took me to see this. To this day, I actually still have, because I ended up years and years later working at the same theater that I would attend a lot in my mm-hmm. teenage years, and I still have the Mylar. Do you remember the way we put the Mylars above the box? Wow. Bottom? Yeah. Was, yeah. I still have the one from when I saw this movie at the theater. Yep. I'm very, wow. very happy about that. So uh, I saw it that weekend, and I loved it then. I had to have seen it at least two or three times in the theater. That was in that time period where I was definitely going multiple times if I liked a movie. So, uh, yeah, I love this movie.
0: Wow. Well, Jackson, what about you? When did you first see it?
1: This this was my first time all the way through. I mean, oh. this is yeah. And I can't believe I didn't see this movie sooner because like I, I see now after watching it, that it's inspired a lot of the movies I like. I mean, we've we've talked about Don't Breathe and the loved ones on this podcast already. Mm-hmm. And I was getting major flashbacks to that when I was watching this movie. I was like, hey, is, where they where they got it from? They all steal from Craven, don't they? So sad. <laughs> uh, never got his due, but they all stole from him, didn't they? Um, so, yeah, yeah, he he and Toby Hooper, I think that. yeah, um, didn't I, get didn't get what they deserved. I heard Joe Dante, um
0: who will be relevant here in a couple weeks, right, Jackson? Um, or next yep. week, I guess. Um, Joe Dante say that both Wes Craven and Toby Hooper were two of the nicest human beings he ever met. Toby Hooper, of course, Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Poltergeist, you know, Salem's Lot. So, two of the nicest guys he had ever met, and never got their due. I uh,
3: think that's, that's a fair statement, though. I yep. think that's a fair statement. Yeah. Yeah. yeah Craven, so, it I, I feel like Craven scream onward. I mean, obviously he was beloved in horror circles, but I feel like more mainstream wise scream onward. He was a little bit higher up. Uh, I definitely feel like Hooper never got his due for sure.
0: No, he never got the scripts he deserved. He never got the after Poltergeist. Really, he never got the scripts he really deserved. I mean, yeah, he had that run with Cannon, but Cannon were they were run by you know nut jobs. Um, And so yeah, he just never got it. And even Craven, he was such a nice guy. That He didn't like to argue. He was conflict adverse. And so Bob Shea pushed him around. The Weinsteins pushed him around, you know, and it's like Robert Englund tells the story. He's like going to meet Wes Craven to read for Freddy Krueger for A Nightmare on Elm Street. He said, this is guy who made Last House on the left. He thought he he said, <laughs> I thought I was going to walk in and see somebody like all decked out in leather you know, and like with heroin needles lying around and he walks in and he meets this like guy in Ralph Lauren who looks like he should be teaching a third year English class at John Hopkins, which is where he went. And it was just like this most, this soft spoken, gentle person. And he does things like this. Yeah,
3: absolutely. Yeah, I went to uh, one of my earliest uh, horror conventions and this would have been like around 2013. I feel like somewhere in that time period and I at the one I was at, it was in Orlando. The, uh, at the, uh, at the convention was Brandon Adams, AKA fool oh, was yeah. there. Sean Whalen, AKA roach. Mm-hmm. And I'm probably going to butcher his name. Hold on. Let me see if I can make sure I say, Oh, you guess I guess not for some reason. I thought it was longer than this, but Jan Birch who played the Stairmaster. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. And, they were they did their you know Q&A thing with the with the audience and during that they talked about I can't remember if it was Jan I think it was maybe Jan who said he remembered that some executives showed up from Universal and uh. Wes Craven was so just conflict averse. He yeah. let his producers go talk to them, and he went and under like the because they were on the – This is the point where they were on the set, and, mm-hmm. and as far as like the actual like you know built inside the the studio, and he went up to the roof and just hung hung out there, just hid, <laughs> 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 just laid out. It's like yeah, the, I'll, I'll go back down when they're gone, and that was it. Like he just didn't want to deal with them.
0: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. It bless his heart. He was just a—and passed, you know, way too young from brain cancer. Yes, I mean, the guy was—yeah, the guy who did—and you cover this with Hills Have Eyes, Last House on the Left, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. You know, this, Scream, was a guy who spent his spare time bird watching. Mm-hmm.
3: And that's that seems more fitting. Like I think if you, for people who seem to have known Craven, when they describe him, the bird watching thing seems to totally fit. (laughs) Like that. Oh yeah, yeah, that that makes perfect sense. But yeah, you're like, oh, and he made less house on the left. I said, what? Yeah,
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I saw this on theater on opening weekend too. I didn't think I had it. Of course, it's been thirty years, and I was nineteen at the time, and I thought I saw this first on video. And it was actually a buddy of mine, who, when I brought this up, said. No, don't you remember we took like double dates to see this in that theater i was like oh that's right we did see it and i remember liking it but not being blown away by it but i've had multiple rewatches since so we'll see if that's cranked it up or down in, in in my opinion so we've got the plot this is like like nightmare on elm street and and the last house on the left and this was written and directed by craven so we have our protagonist, Poindexter, or as he's better known, Fool, and his family featuring someone I know Joel loves, Kelly Joe Minter, right?
3: Oh, yeah, she's fantastic. I love her.
0: Yeah, and we'll talk about her in a minute. You know, and they're about to be evicted and cast into the street despite the fact that their mother is dying from cancer by their landlords who are just titled man and woman, although they call each other mommy and daddy. So you've got a friend of Ruby. Um, uh, Kelly Joe Mentor, as we said, who is Fool's sister. Leroy played by a, a young Ving Rhames. I'm not sure I'd seen him any, anything before this. I think it's maybe the first thing I saw him in.
3: Yeah, I think you're right. I think this is one of, I didn't actually look to see, because I could just, you know, off the top of my head, name half a dozen movies are better than he has yep. been in. Um, heck, just the Mission Impossible series. I think we'd exactly. <laughs> probably cover that. Exactly. Um, but just, uh, yeah, scrolling through his his MDA, but he did start earlier than this. Like, they, his earliest credit is 84. So he wow. did 84, 85, and 86. He was on the uh, soap Another World. But a lot of it was wow. TV. I'm sure a lot of it was probably, like, bit parts, you know, extras, et cetera, et cetera. This is probably the first bigger role. Now, he was in Jacob's Ladder from 1990, which I, uh, one of my, um, my few uh, shames, I've never seen it. So oh, wow. I don't recall him in it since I haven't seen it, <laughs> but uh, yeah, this is definitely the first thing I like I'm aware of him from.
0: Yeah. It, me too. I, I actually, not only did I see Jacob's ladder in theater, I actually voted for it for best pick one of the best pictures. Cause I voted for one of my bosses who was an Academy member and hadn't seen anything. So, it was one of the five films I listed <laughs> as the five best films that year. Shame on you. You need to see I know, Jacob's I Ladder. Uh, it's a great, great movie. Jackson, have you seen Jacob's Ladder, the original?
1: I, I, I don't. don't Tim Robbins, so. right? So, I yep. don't think I've seen Jacob's Ladder. No. Uh,
0: I, Tim Robbins and Danny Ayo, and it's got a great, great cast and some of the creepiest stuff you'll ever see. A very young Jason Alexander from Seinfeld is in it playing oh, a lawyer. Oh, boy. Um, he does a good is job it better
1: is it better than his performance in um the burning i knew you were going there i knew you were gonna do it <laughs> the, those those uh, cut off jean shorts i mean does he wear those in jacob's ladder that's the question.
0: no he's wearing a suit but he does oh, look fine. very much like because it was the same year as he he debuted as george costanza so oh, well. and, and seinfeld will come back into this here in a minute. But. Um, but so you've got Leroy, played by Vin Rams, who has a, a plan to break into the landlord's home to steal gold coins that he believes are there in order to save their apartment and for himself to make a little dough. Because let's face it, he's not the nicest guy around. I'm not sure why Ruby's hanging out with him. Um, and they quickly discover that man and woman or mommy or daddy, whatever you want to call them, have an unusual house filled with people they have... Collected, um, really, and we, you know, Endabah kind of spoiled the reveal that they're brother and sister, which is really creepy. But obviously, this is a film with a message. Um, and Joel, you're a person who has stated many times on Retro Movie Geek, yep, that you I- don't like when people hammer home a political opinion, left, yep. right, or otherwise, yep. when they just yep. But you love this film. So what was it about? I mean, you talk about the plot, too, but you, you obviously weren't taken aback by because this addresses racism and gentrification. Absolutely. And yes, it does. Of-
3: I, I will say this. It's funny. I was trying to figure out how I could best articulate what it is. Like, why is it that I do love this movie? Because honestly, this and it's interesting because I, I do want to, if we have time, get into some of the parallels between this and Hills Have Eyes, because mm-hmm. this time around, because I have the Scream Factory uh you know, special edition of this, and I was listening to Craven's commentary, and I hadn't listened to it in a long time, so I believe that was the way they discussed that. Like, there are a a lot of parallels. Um, Mm -hmm. And that is also another movie that has a, a strong sort of social context to it, like a social awareness in a sense. It's more subtle in a way than it is a people under the stairs, but it's there for sure. I think you could argue that's with all Craven films,
0: right? Diamond Elm Street has that. I mean, oh, Serpent in the Rainbow and absolutely.
3: But here's the, and it kind of hit me. And I think that's probably why this ranks so insanely high for me, because it is a movie with ideas, with uh, a point of view, with social commentary, but it doesn't feel the need to grandstand or push its message down your throat like you're a freaking idiot. And I appreciate that. And that's what it really comes down to for me. I subscribe to the characters are the characters and they should be, you know, in, in sort of the, I've heard Tarantino talk about this, right? That his characters, they're it's almost, he doesn't get into their individual. Like he doesn't judge them. He doesn't judge mm-hmm. them, whatever that is. He just lets them be who they are. And in this movie, and I feel like with all of Craven's films, that's what he does. There's never that sense, even though, and then, especially in this film, there are some very, if you want to see them, there are very obvious, yeah. Obvious messages, uh or I, I don't want to call it message. That's the problem, right? It's that message idea. I think commentary, um uh, allusions to different right. socioeconomic factors that were in in our society then, that are in our society now, in different ways. And I think that's all very interesting. It's like Get Out. I think Get Out's another exceptional yes. example of this. You can have a movie that's got very, very strong uh point of view and, and social commentary, but it also stands on its own. It's just a darn good story and that's what this yes. movie does for me it is it's wacky you got you know you know a, a gimp guy running around with a shotgun <laughs> trying to kill a little kid and you know a, a guy running through the walls i mean there's everything about this movie i just and i honestly love just how you know the, the, how contained and claustrophobic it is but honestly the the social commentary aspect i actually love in movie, Dawn of the Dead, okay? Dawn of the Dead is pretty social commentary. But again, when I saw those movies when I was a kid, I completely was oblivious to it. So it's almost like this wonderful revelation that once you're adult enough to get that stuff, it's like this extra onion layer. Like you could peel back and go, oh, I see now where he was trying to say here. And and it also opens up the question. It does leave some things open for interpretation. Like you could get into the fact that Craven obviously was very left in his politics and there's obviously yeah. a lot of left message in, in this, but it's interesting how he, when you listen to his commentary, talks about the family and the, the sort of rot inherent in the, in the myth of the sort of perfect, American family and et cetera, et cetera. But if you know about Craven's background and the, yep. the super religious upbringing he had, it's like, so, is it possible that his entire view of the American family is f- seen through that filter, that skewed, cracked lens that he grew up with? And of course it is. But that's what I mean. It's like it's all those potential discussions. Yes, it could be a more me- you know, my- macro view of the American family. But it could also really just be this is his subconscious way of dealing with how jacked up his own
0: childhood was. Oh, yeah. Cause, yeah. He Because not only was he not allowed – to go to, you know, he wasn't allowed to even go to Disney movies growing up. That's how strict his Baptist family in Cleveland was. And yeah, he, I definitely think he's kind of responding to that. And, um, but Jackson, what do you think? What do you think of the message? What do you think of the plot of people under the stairs?
1: Well, I wasn't hit too hard over the head with it. I didn't think it was too, um, like abrasive or anything and Mm -hmm. there's lots of and and i think i think joel touched on the fact that it's like i had some little gripes of the movie i was like there are little points that i started to write down in my notes and then i just deleted them because It's just a fun movie and there's no point in like completely picking it apart, like line by line and and just just totally dissecting it. I mean, like there's there's lots of stupid. I mean, I I really didn't care for the the redhead kingpin and the FBI hip hop track at the end, you know, (laughs) but but, you know, got to do the right thing. But (laughs) it's it's but it doesn't matter because it's it's a fun movie. Um, and, uh, or, you know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'll, I'll, give one more that, that part where, uh, Alice is in the house and she's trying to unlock the door. She's at like the breaker trying to unlock the right. door and the breaker, Speaks and says, uh, overrided All doors are locked." And it's like, "Okay." And then she comes. Then mom, mommy comes on, and she's like, "I locked the doors." And it's like, "Why do we need that twice?" Um, but uh, but you know, whatever. It doesn't. It, does, it really doesn't matter. Or like the little kid in this very stressful situation. I'm gonna keep going. <laughs> little kid in this stressful situation making clips and one liners and stuff. You know, whatever. You, you can make the same argument. I like the.
0: Oh,
3: I'm. I'm. I'm going. I'm. Hold on. You will never ever get to take away. Your father's one sick mother. Your mother's one sick mother, too. Oh, I love
1: every time he says that. It makes me happy. Yeah, I love that. That's a fantastic line. I also love the uh, how do you feel? I feel like a million dollars line, uh, which is so silly. <laughs> but it's just it's so fun. And I don't and I don't mind that it's it's obviously politically charged. I mean, it's it's but I mean, so what? All the best horror movies are. I mean, you touched on Dawn of the Dead, which, by the way, I was watching. I don't know where else to throw this in, but I was watching Cisco and Ebert's review of this movie.
0: Oh, uh, we're going to uh, talk about that. We're going to hold off on that for a minute, okay. will you please, because we are going to talk because it. it's bizarre. I don't yeah, know.
3: I actually I'm, I'm excited because I have no
0: I've never watched oh the, the same part it, was, it. It would have made me bad range. It, it is strange. You'll okay. be a little, I think you'll be surprised by it. But, you know, but yeah, I mean, there are things here. And, and, and there and and Craven is kind of notorious for letting some things fall between the cracks because he always was obsessive about trying to stay on budget and, you know, and on schedule and all that other kind of stuff and not doing as few reshoots as possible because he didn't want to deal with the studio. We talked about that, right? He just didn't, you know, the guy a the guy was a college professor. He doesn't want to, you know, deal with the Weinsteins or Universal Brass or, you know, or Sean Cunningham or whoever. He doesn't want to deal with it. And so, yeah, there are some things here and there that maybe could have done with a rewrite or a reshoot. But, you know, still, I think it works. And I love the fact that, you know, and, and Joel, you brought up Get Out. Um, you know, I, I, I'm I with you. I don't like a movie. I can't remember the name of the movie. There was one that somebody recommended on Twitter and I watched it. and It was so heavy handed and so preachy. It wasn't a horror movie, but I, it just irritated me. But. Like Get Out or even Us, and I have a theory of why Jordan Peele's Us wasn't as lauded by the press as Get Out, even though it it did get good reviews, was because Jordan Peele was taking a bit of a shot in that movie at what he calls limousine liberals. Yep. And Hollywood doesn't like that. It's like, well, we'll do hands across America and we'll walk away. And of yeah, course, and yeah, all, all, the symbol,
3: all the symbolic gestures they'll do, but never actually. It's the whole NIMBY thing, right? Not in my backyard. I'll tell yes. you how to live your life, but I will actually do the things that would make it better for other people.
0: Correct. Right. Yeah. And it, so 100%. he takes, there's, there's that, there's that message in us. I mean, he's taken a clear shot at his fellow lefties and they didn't like it. Um, and that's why they didn't loud it as much in Hollywood. Um, But he still got the message across without beating it, you know, uh, you know, across your head. And I really I agree with you, Jackson. It's a fun movie. The message is there, but you
1: get sucked in to the plot. Is that is that fair to what you were saying, Jackson, or am I taking it too far? Yeah, that's it. I mean, it's like no, even if you disagree with the message, which I don't think – I think everyone on a certain level can relate to the characters in this I movie. I hope so. Yes. Even if you disagree with the message, it's still really entertaining and horrifying. It's a horror it, – it did keep me on my toes. I mean, most movies from 1991, I'm going to be honest, early 90s, not the greatest time for uh, horror films. But this now, one, this one still I, works.
0: Can I, can I just go as an aside just for a second? What's so horror. bizarre about that? Which, yeah, a lot of the 90s sucked. It was a lot of direct-to-video crap. Um, but the the strange thing was 1990 itself was such a strong year for horror films. And then there's this huge drop-off. I mean, you had Arachnophobia, Jacob's Ladder, Tremors, a movie I know Joe loves. Tom Savini's remake of Night of the Living Dead was 1990. Yep, yep. Um, you had... Henry Portrait of a Serial Killer getting wide release for the first time after making the, you know, circuit forever. You had Gremlins 2. You had, I mean, on and on and on and on. Misery, for goodness sakes, all came out in 1990. You had a huge number of great horror movies in 1990 itself. And then all of a sudden it's like they just step off a cliff. And I I don't know how that happened. And I will say – no, I'll go, go ahead, please, because I, I interrupted Jackson. I was going to apologize at him. Go ahead, Joel.
3: No, let, let Jackson say his point, and then I'll come back around.
1: I agree.
0: <laughs> uh, <yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> All right, there's
1: your argument. All right, uh, hey, I'll take okay. it. Uh, Joel, go ahead. I
3: was going to play devil's advocate, so the, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll mix it up a little bit. So here's the thing, and I realize 100% that that time period you're discussing is smack dab in the middle of my personal uh horror coming of age right my my uh my sort of my my um i don't know personal you are-
0: you would just basically become like, what, 13, 14, 15, yeah, around there, and, yeah.
3: I, was, I was, Yeah, 13 and 89, 14 and 90. Fit, you know, so, so I'm in that early teenage years where I'm getting into Fango, and I'm finding lots of stuff on video, right, and you know watching stuff on TV all the time. And and with so the movies that would come out, I would see them pretty much any horror movie opening weekend. Saw so Dr. Giggles opening weekend, Leprechaun opening weekend, obviously Army of Darkness opening, so on and so forth. Actually, usually opening night, not even just opening weekend, opening right. night. And... There are a lot of movies, yes, that do not hold up in the remotest same way as the movies we have labeled classics from the '80s and '70s, in particular. Right. But that being said, and I realize that to some degree, this is the C and D talking. I am one hundred percent not no delusions as to how wonderful these movies are. But what those movies made me appreciate, I think, and it explains a lot of my sensibility. I think for for people who like probably hear the movies that I like and they're like, "Wow." I really appreciate camp done right. I feel like people under the stairs is camp done right. It's like camp, but there's, so the tongue's always in the cheek, but then there's still a level of meanness and darkness to it. Like they don't go so over the top campy that it's just, it's arched to the degree. And it's like, there's nothing believable about it. But that honestly, that's why, you know I love *Malignant* so much. There's a, a guy I want to give a shout out because I feel like he helped encapsulate exactly what I feel about this. Yeah, you know, somebody ever does that, they'll they'll say like they'll explain why they like something. Like, yes, that's why. That way, everything you just said, that's how I feel. And uh, his name's Chris Stuckman. He's on YouTube. Uh, yeah, I know I, he is. Yeah, got, I, I love that guy. And he he loved *Malignant* and he did this great review and he explained why. And it was the camp factor. And I I also on the way home from that movie felt like I I said it to my wife. He's like, that feels like a movie I would have seen pre *Scream* that I would have liked. And it wasn't great. It wasn't like perfect. It wasn't like, you know, things that characters do. You're like, why would you do that? But that's what makes it kind of fun. And so like when people under the stairs, when I watch it, I I, I get that s- a similar vibe. It's just kind of like, you know, this movie's going along at one angle. And then again, I always have to go back to, dude runs out in a gimp costume. <laughs> Uh-huh. And, and starts up the place. I mean, it's bonkers. It's like completely nuts, and it's and it never takes itself too serious. But yet, there are still those moments. I, I call them the Craven darkness, like where you you know they think of the end of Scream. This is a spoiler podcast, and at this point, if you've not seen Scream, yep. why, why I don't even know why you would be listening and to we've horror? We've already podcasts.
0: covered it, so go ahead. Yep.
3: the end of Scream where the, the the killers are there and this the back and forth and the blood. It gets so dark. Like up to that point. It's a dark, yeah. You know, it's a, it's a slasher film, yeah. But there's something about that last twenty minutes or so. It's so really when you rewatch it, it's so bloody, it's so dark. This movie has a similar moments in it where like everything from, uh, I, I mean, you could make the argument obviously the disemboweling of Leroy, uh, you know, and just and when you realize these people are in fact cannibals and just how the reveal and the the way the the music is like those almost tonal, which we'll obviously have to get into as its connection to another classic craven movie we've already mentioned mm-hmm. and and just that and then obviously roach dying because i mean this feels like a kind of you know it could have gone where he's, he at least lives to the very end and like heroically say and he kind of does do something heroic yep, but yep. it's really kind of tragic and sad and and just even that moment when all of the people are coming out of the walls and and they, they suddenly look like uh like uh, the whispers from the walking dead <laughs> the mascot yes. in- and and they're pulling her down, like almost like zombies about to eat a corpse and, and, or eat, eat their victim. And, you know, it, it's but it's not funny. Like that part isn't funny, but there are so many funny parts in the movie intentionally funny, you know?
0: Oh, yeah, I, 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 absolutely. But I um, it, it definitely does have tongue in cheek. But to a degree, Craven kind of does almost every other movie he has. You know, he's got it's kind of tongue in cheek you know he gets the absurdity and you know he gets that from his study of literature the guy had a ma- I wasn't kidding the guy's got a, had a master's degree from John Hopkins not that's like borderline ivy league folks in in english i mean he was very well trained and he knew that even shakespeare you know if you go back and you study hamlet and macbeth which are dark still have times in them which are comedic or intended to be comedic and craven definitely you know you know kind of aligns with that and so yeah i i agree did you get the comedy
1: jackson did you pick up on it I, i love the tone of this movie and i okay so for the first like i would say like halfway through the second act i was feeling a little bit like i wish that this movie would pick a lane but by the end, it kind of all came together for me, and I was thinking about it later after I watched it. I was like, okay, so let's let's talk about Everett McGill's character. Okay, he's scary, you know. He's when he's in that mm-hmm. gimp costume with the shotgun, but he's also kind of like the fourth stooge in this movie, right? He's always getting hit <laughs> over the head with stuff, and he's always making mistakes, and he accidentally yeah. stabs Prince the dog instead of the kid, and he's jumping around, and he's all proud of himself, and you know. But also. He actually kills Roach and he beats Alice and he is an actual looming threat. So it's 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 not like he's just the, the silly goofy goon and mommy is the the real mastermind of the whole thing. He's he's a real threat. Um, so I think it, it it rides that line really well because I, I I admire the horror aspects and I really feel tense while I'm watching the movie. Um, but I, I really, I, if, if it didn't happen, I would have been lacking that Everett McGill getting hit over the head with the toilet lid, uh, that really <laughs> just, and it made me laugh every time he gets hit with a vase, a toilet lid, he's the always rock getting, slingshot his, with no, slingshot his, with the slingshot, he's always getting hit over the head with stuff. He's just got blood just perpetually dripping down his forehead. And I love that. That's hilarious. Um, and I love his little dance. He does when he thinks he killed the kid. Um, oh, and the dog. But how, how about this? When he realizes he's killed
3: Prince, that reaction he has. Yeah. Yeah, oh, he's like, oh, crap. Gosh, yes. and, it's just yes. the way, and it's the way he says it because it's so like, oh, I can't believe – what have I done?
1: Yeah. Oh. oh, I love it. And I, we're not – well, I guess we'll get to the performances later, but the point is that the, the tone – um, It's always shifting, you know, it's, it's, you know, Roach is like, oh, it's fun. He's he's got little booby traps and then he's dead and you're like, oh, uh, uh. but it doesn't matter. It's it's entertaining. And I, I don't really want to pick apart this movie um, because it's just it's just so charming. I don't know. You could. Uh, there are other things like how would you corral that many people to just stand outside their landlord's house? Like, would they really agree to that? I don't know. Maybe. But I, you know. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. It's a good movie. And I like Wes Craven. So, you know, whatever.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, there are so many things I want to pick up on there. There is definitely a I think that you, you hit on something there, Jackson. You know, um, I don't know how many people have. I think you have, um, Joel. But I would definitely encourage people to pick up the two books Bruce Campbell wrote um they're they're great books get the audiobooks where he reads them because they're fantastic and of course one of the things that he and sam Raimi and ted Raimi and the whole bunch love is they call it the fake shimp right because they they were (laughs) obsessed with the three stooges and there is definitely a line here where everett mcgill is playing that kind of fake shimp he is definitely playing like a three stooges stooges excuse me type character and so yeah, I think you've really hit on something there. But again, you you need to pick up Campbell's books, get the audio books where he talks about it, how how obsessed they were, even with making a dark movie like the original Evil Dead, and constantly Raimi's making, you know, throwbacks to the three stooges to get his <laughs> point to get his yeah. point across. And, yeah. and by the way, one of the best I, I won't spoil it for people. My favorite part of, I can't remember which book it was, was, do you remember this, Joel? The deal they had where the first person who had a number one movie in America would call. And so when Sam Raimi had Spider-Man was the number one movie, Bruce Campbell knew what call was coming. Uh And Sam Raimi called him. And they basically, just to wrap it up, I'm not going to do it but because you have to hear it. Basically, Bruce Campbell, and I forget the producer's name. I know you know who it is have to grovel over the phone to Sam Raimi because he's number one. Was it Rob Tappert? Is that the? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I I wonder if, was that, uh, if chins could kill.
0: Yes, I, mean, I think so. But it's, it's just like, like, yeah, they yeah. have to, yeah. they have, they had an agreement where the first person to have a number one movie. Yeah. Got to call and the other two had to grovel That's at so their hilarious. feet that over the hilarious. phone. That's so hilarious. <laughs> It's fantastic, but yeah, yeah. There's Jackson. My, but my whole point of that is, yeah, you, you. I think you've nailed it on the head. He is definitely almost like a dark, twisted Three Stooges character.
3: Well, and, and I also related to that character. I, I something again that jumped out at me, in, at this point, probably because I I watched the whole movie. I had my I, my my wife is so awesome. Like she actually she's watched this movie multiple times with me, and she humors me because I think she likes this, she appreciates this movie, mm-hmm. but I don't think she remotely loves it like I love. It. So right. Uh, And, uh, but I watched it with her just as a movie and then, you know, watched the, the Craven commentary and he, again, talked a lot about, and again, it's like you bring up the literature thing. This I think also is a, a, a distinction with a difference, a Craven movie is more in line with a classic work of literature and all the layers to it. So that like there's plenty of social commentary and to kill a mockingbird and to, and Huckleberry Finn. I mean, all these classic books have tons of it, but they're also great stories. And, and so with the Everett McGill character specifically man or daddy, depending on your point of view, or actually I think they said that woman does at some point yell out the name Elrod. And you do say the name, which is a kind of fun. Idea. I forgot about this. It actually looks like Robertson, but it's Robeson. Um, so presumably his name might be Elrod Robeson, but I prefer <laughs> just calling them you know, daddy or man. And, All right. and so, but this idea of the the sort of family and the, them First off, everything about them is so tw- obviously twisted, meaning like, oh, so they come from old money. This isn't like they were entrepreneurs who worked their way up and became wealthy and then went nuts. No, this is multi generational wealth. It's. I had a friend one time who said, when you think about like, and I think at the time some story was out about Paris Hilton or somebody like that, where the mm-hmm. generations of trust fund, you know, grand, great, great grandkids of, of very wealthy, one time entrepreneurial type people. And he said, think of it like, 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 almost like when you had a generational loss on VHS tapes, when you make a copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. By the time you get down right. to like third, fourth, or fifth generation of just trust fund money, oh. there's such a level of like just hedonism and depravity that can set in <laughs> with people like this. Yes. It, it, it can. And so yes. I feel like that's who these people are because if you think about it, their their marriage is obviously a sham because they're actually brother and sister. All of their kids are a sham because all of them are kidnapped victims. Their religious views are a sham. They don't say, you would know, obviously, way better than me. Did they
0: say a single Bible verse correctly ever? No, 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 no. Everything was twisted. Everything Everything was, yeah, it was, you know, they deserve to go to hell, which is the exact opposite of the New Testament and all like that. Yeah.
3: Yeah, and you would th- and like you would think, okay, like the whole cops angle, right? Like because the cops, of course, these people have lots of money, and they seem so just, oh, these poor people, and they're, you know, the neighborhood is just going to going bad and oh all these kind of things, right? And the cops are oblivious. But they even hate the cops. Yep. Like, the, you know what I mean? Like, the, like everything about them is just this, yeah, this twisted thing. But what hit me was, okay, so if you want to say it's this sort of classic you know, almost leave it to Beaver, you know, pa- you know, the patriarch of the family and, and all that stuff. But actually, no, that's even messed up because he's the submissive. Literally, he's literally in a Kip costume. She's mm-hmm. the one in charge. She, she is the top dog, not him. Even though they live their lives outwardly, like it's still 1948. There's this, this, even that's twisted around, right? Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, it's all it's all very sick. And, you know, you can kind of see where Craven was. Yeah, definitely going with that. With I agree with it, that, you know, the whole idea that you've inherited wealth, you haven't earned it, you know, and, and, and you've just you've kind of created your own little world. And, you know, that morality is completely your own of your own making and so forth. Yeah, it's it, it, Yeah, it's all definitely there. But it's also right. It's the sharp edges are blunted by the fact that they're over the top, yes. And as Jackson said, he keeps getting knocked in the head constantly. Constantly, yeah,
3: <laughs> yeah. And it's, it, the whole movie, The whole thing is like to your point. It could be. It's, it's all there, but it can also just be taken as this wonderfully twisted dark fairy tale.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, Jackson. What do you say? Well, I, well, first of all, I'd never thought about it as a dark fairy tale. I guess I didn't have much time to think of it as a dark fairy tale. I've just seen it (laughs) for this episode, but, um, I mean, it really, I mean, Alice is kind of like, like, kind of like Rapunzel, right? She's kind of the, the locked away by these people who have abducted her. Um, yeah, so that's, that's an interesting way to think about it. And, and yeah, I, I also agree that, that, um, uh, that uh, it, it's it's really really interesting how I I thought about that too the tone shift you know with with uh, man and woman how when they're talking to the cops he's like uh, uh, man is like. You know, big man around the house. What seems to be the problem here? Is there trouble around here? <laughs> then he gets inside and he's like, "Oh, I'm sorry, mommy, I, I messed yeah. up." You know, uh, that, that's yeah. so interesting to me, and 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 how they can switch between the two so quickly. Like the the child welfare people come over to investigate, and he's you know all stoic and smoking a cigar and and talking yeah. about oh, the furniture a pipe. in the house. Not just a cigar. Oh, it's, it's a pipe. pipe. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. He's, smoking, yeah. he's smoking a pipe, and he's you know he's very. And, stoic and she made and, cookies. I think she made cookies, right? right? Right. cookies and coffee for the yeah. for the people and he's real stoic. And then not five minutes later he's ah, ah, you know, he's freaking <laughs> out and, and running around. And that's so fantastic that, that he's that that's that's fantastic. I love that so much. And and yeah, it definitely takes we were talking about the social commentary earlier. Um and it definitely does take the, like you said, the sharp edges off the the social commentary that they're so entertaining to watch. That they're so like, I mean, if they were just Carrie mom all the time, like we do get that one scene, and I love that scene uh, where the mom is is taking Alice, and she's got blood on her dress, and she's taking her and throws her into the scalding bathtub. Yeah, um, and that's just horrifying, and it's very, you know, Carrie. But if they were just like that all the time, uh, I think it would just be really, really hard to watch. Yes. But the fact that they are kind of blundering, you know, and they, and the way that they end up, it, it really does it really does keep you invested, keep it keeps it from from being too much of a downer, even though really, I mean, if you if you really think about what life is like for poor Alice and all those people in the under the stairs, this is probably one of the biggest downer movies of the 90s. It, it's terrible. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I love the tone. I love the way it's handled. Well, let's, yeah, I agree. Let, let's talk about
0: the cast. We've got Brendan, um Quentin Adams' as Fool, you know, who had quite a run in the 90s, man. If you look at his IMDb, he was in yeah. The Sandlot. He was Those in The Mighty ones. Ducks. Yeah. And, you know, he left acting for a while. He's now returned. But I, you know, typically most child actors in horror movies really, in my opinion, are not that good. Um, and this is going to be sacrilege for you, Joel. Hold on.
3: Do not say what take, I think you're about to say. Take a breath.
0: Matt? Um, the kids in Pet cemetery are terrible. Um, oh, but-
3: oh, 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 I thought you were. Well, oh, look, Elf and def- Gage's defense, the kid was like, what, three, four?
0: Yeah, I'm talking more about especially the daughter. Like yeah, no, and I, would, I, yeah
3: I, I, I agree. I agree with you that she definitely comes across as a character. I think you were going to say that you thought uh, uh, Brandon wasn't good.
0: No, 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 I'd no, no. I bite you on that one. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I think this is a contrast to what we usually see. Um, a very stark contrast. Yeah. Um, I mean, Gage is creepy when he goes full Gage. I, I just don't like the kids, and uh, frankly, I don't like anyone's performance in that except for Fred Gwynn, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> I think he's great at it. And, it, it, but, I. I know. I think Brandon um, Quentin Adams in this is great. I yeah. think surprisingly great for such a young actor because, as I said, typically in horror movies, kids don't do a very good job. But man, he nails it. Yeah, 100% agree with you. And I think what
3: he does really well is, you know, he for you know, first off, you've got this kid. It's a kid, right? Your, your lead yep. of your movie's a kid. He's supposed to be this. A uh, poor black kid who's from the projects. He's got this, you know, this life that is really rough. His mom is dying of a disease, you know. Uh, the the His sister, you know, wants the best for him, and and she's trying to protect him, but she's got kids that she's dealing with. And he's got this opportunity from her boyfriend or a friend of I think he, I guess they, they they insinuate their boyfriend or girlfriend, but I think he says I'm a yeah. friend of movies. Um, and the the best part about it is because there's this hesitation, right? He he, you could tell. That he gets the morality of okay yes these people may quote unquote deserve to be robbed but mm-hmm. stealing is still wrong and he right. knows that there's a the kid has a, a code and a, and a morality to his character so it but it comes down to once he realizes then you have to wait so like you know okay yeah stealing's wrong stealing's wrong up to the point where your family's starving to death and you got to steal a loaf of bread and then right. suddenly stealing ain't so wrong so. Uh, You know, that, but I, that's what I love. I love that it's that that gray. It's the, it's not so clear cut. It's not so, you know, simple to, to say, okay, well, you know, the, the, this kid, you know, knows he's doing something wrong and he he should deal with the consequence. Well, no, I mean, you, you feel for him through the whole movie. And when he's scared, you really believe he's scared and you don't blame him for being scared, but he's tough Mm -hmm. in just the right way. It never has that fake. Almost like either like oh, you like when a kid does that, right? Like they're obviously terrified, but they put on the machismo. He's always scared, but you could tell he's still trying to just keep it together because this kid comes from a world where he has to. Like when he has to run up yep. the stairs to get to his family, and like there's all the drug addicts and everybody's around, and you know the dogs are like fighting over something dead in the corner, and like he's like oh let me in, <laughs> but, yeah. but you know, but he has to go through that every day of his life, and you believe it, and you care about him, and you want him to succeed, and when he comes comes back to the, I I even tried to figure out like, why is that believable? Like, this is like a, a 13 year old kid. Going back to a house, I but he, but it's like he's a true he it goes back. This is why it's a fairy tale to me too. It is so encapsulated like the hero's journey, right? I mean, yep. you got like you said, you compared the girl to uh, Rapunzel, and for God's sakes, her name is Alice, you know, and, and right. he's called and he's fool. And it's there's treasure in this house that seems to be run by, you know, this this witch and her little henchman. You know what I mean? Like it's got yep. all those aspects to it, and just the whole movie. And he's funny, like the 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 moments where he needs to be humorous. And I still go back to that was one of the greatest lines in movie history. <laughs> and it's the way he delivers it too. It's just the uh, yeah. your, your 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 mother's one sick mother too. It's like perfect. <laughs> yes, she is. And, and it's just I don't know everything about him. I love it, absolutely love it.
0: I agree. You can see why he had such a great career in the '90s, such a run, and so many you know hit movies or cult oh, yeah. classics and so forth. But Jackson, what did you think?
1: I-, I loved his performance in this movie. and this is this is definitely one of the best kid acting. Uh, performances I've seen uh, And I, I yeah I, I was I love Fool's character and it's definitely I mean I referenced Don't Breathe earlier Which is pretty much like in some aspects A remake of this movie it's very similar <laughs> um, But uh, and, and we get the same thing in that movie I mean you, Like the main character Rocky she's Got that little sister in the home life she wants to escape From and, and that's the reason she's burglarizing So we, 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 we're we on her side Even though we know she's doing something wrong We don't know how thick and twisted these the You know the person that she's Robbing is yet, but we're already right. sort of on her side, um, and and we get the same thing with fool. You know, he might be breaking into a house, but his mom's got cancer, and and it's operable. It's an operable tumor, but they just don't have the money to pay for the operation. Right. So um, so, so we're already on his side, um, and I was, you know, when the movie started, I was sure that. Bing Rhames was going to be with them for longer. I was like, no way they're just going to trust this kid to be the protagonist on his own with another kid in this house and, and, and with two other kids and one of them can't even talk. So it's like, there's no possible way that they're just going to do this and they do and it works. It yep. works really, really well. Um... So, yeah, that was surprising to me. Just And, yeah, I love his line delivery. It's, it's so fantastic. He just sells everything. Um, and, uh, and we're with him the whole time. We're, we're, we're sympathizing with him, you know, whatever. This is a really weird situation. I can't even imagine myself in this situation. But somehow I'm thinking in my head, like in that scene where, uh, where they're in the hallway, you know, ju- after they're just really starting to figure out what's going on. Uh, and Ving Range is still alive at that point, And Daddy comes in with a laser pointer gun. You know, he's got the, yep. the laser sight on it in the hallway. And I'm thinking in my head, I start like hyperventilating a little bit. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's such a weird situation, but I'm, I'm, I'm right there with him. Um, so I, I think he does a fantastic job. Um, and he, you know, he stands up to Everett McGill and, and Wendy Roby. I think he really, uh, he really sells it. And Ving Raims also, I think he does a great job in this movie too, what little we see of him. I think he's got his little moments with, uh, with, um, with four fantastic. Yeah, you can definitely
0: see, we'll talk about him in a second, Vin, why Vin Rames became a star. And, you know, yes. you you wonder if Quentin Tarantino saw him in this before casting Pulp Fiction. He, I, I
3: would have, oh, I, I mean, I have no doubt in my mind Tarantino would have seen this, and yeah. I, I'm sure it was a contributing factor. Yeah, because Ving Vin Rames to me, in this, what's great about him is they set him up as kind of the, kind of, could be kind of the sleazy boyfriend type, but he really mm-hmm. doesn't feel like that. And you no. get the sense like even he is doing this because, as he points out, you've got to put food on the table. And in that neighborhood, in that world, this is what you got to do. And obviously, I'm sure he wants a big payday, but this yep. feels like more than that to him. Like he expressly... Yeah, you know, though they, we, we 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 kind of glossed it. I don't even know if it was mentioned at the beginning, but you know something that happened prior to the movie happening, which is yes. he and Spencer, the, his partner in crime, had robbed a liquor store that was also owned by man and woman, and that's where they even got mm-hmm. they got the little map that indicated that there was at least gold coins, so or they didn't know about everything else, but they knew there was something potentially in their house, and the fact that he gets full to help him, because he realizes okay he's using him, he's using this kid to do something that could get this kid in set his life on a trajectory that's that's even more uh, obstacle riddled than it already is, right? Because if this kid gets arrested at 13 and starts down that road in the system, it's mm-hmm. all downhill, right? So he basically, though, you could tell there's moments where Vingrams, you really feel like he wants – to help this family. Out.
0: Like, he wants to help himself out. Like, it's definitely a, a situation where he's selfish. Yeah, there, there are multiple motivations, but yes. I never got the feeling like he was going to, like, screw over yeah. Ruby. Now,
3: ben. he was worried about Sp- Spencer screwing all of them over, but when Fool says, you know, basically, he's got to mess with me. If he messes with you, he's got to mess with me, too. And the way he reacts, like, you know, you're all right. You're all right, kid. I like you. And just, you feel like there's no way he would let that mom die. He would at least yeah. make sure they were taken care of that way.
0: Yeah, no. I agree. And so Jackson, what do you think about Mr.
1: Ving Rheims? And I know you're a Mission Impossible fan, so Yeah. I'm a Mission Impossible fan. I'm a Pulp Fiction fan for sure, and um, and yeah, I, I love their what little we get of him. And again, I I would have. It, it's kind of surprising. I mean, I know he wasn't a big star at this point, but it's still surprising that he wasn't anymore just because of how good he is. Um, and uh, yeah, I love his his what what we get of him in full. And uh, and you you can. I mean, it's it's so that the little moment in the in the hallway, right, where, the, where they're just like uh, man and woman are coming in and they're they're trying. It, it's just. You you just sense that that um, this is a relationship that could have grown. I don't know, um, and he definitely doesn't feel like the sleazy boyfriend. I mean, that's probably what he is. I mean, let's be real. He's he's not a great person, like you said earlier. No, he, about, he about a kid loses a, it at one point, right? Yeah. With, with Kelly Joe
0: mentor, but yeah, yeah, he's not he's not he doesn't go completely down the d bag highway. No, no. he's three dimensional. I guess is what I'm
3: saying with a small, yeah. a really small. Character to work with. Well, I'm, I'm sure on paper was not a lot. I feel like Rames made him much more dementia I, heck, heck, look what mm-hmm. he does to, when they're when the guys come when man's coming down the hallway with his laser pointed high powered pistol. He yep. he doesn't let fool go in the closet with him. Yeah, <laughs> he's like find your yep. own
0: hiding place. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's very true. Um, yeah, I think he's great. But we got to talk about Everett McGill and Wendy Roby. Oh yes, who uh, you know play man and woman or or daddy and mommy. Who also played husband and wife in Twin Peaks, which Joel, you still have not seen. Never I never seen it.
3: Never seen it. I think I started the first episode, and with with my wife, and she was not feeling it. And I'm like, oh, okay. So I feel like it's one of those I probably just gonna have to watch on my own. Just find that. Yeah, I've seen Twin Peaks Fire Walk with Me. I don't know why I have, but I've seen that. Oh, but
0: I don't I've... even know how that movie makes sense without watching. it, it
3: no, oh, it didn't. But I just chalked that up to it was David Lynch.
0: Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It is Twin Peaks, the, the fir- especially the first season and the first half of the second season, one of my all-time favorite um, TV shows ever. Yeah. It was a huge deal when I lived in L.A. We'd have Twin Peaks, watch parties with pie and coffee, all that other kind of stuff. Um, and, yeah, they play husband and wife in it. He plays a good guy in it. She plays a crazy person obsessed with silent drapes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> But Twin Peaks is basically it's 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 Lynch's satire of a soap opera, but it's also a really dark murder mystery. And I you know what? If your wife is ever in the right mood for it, I think she'd actually like it. My wife, Megan, hates horror movies. Um, She puts up with them because of me, but she does not like them. Like Silence of the Lambs is about as rough as she likes to get. She loved Twin Peaks. Okay, absolutely loved it. And so you may want to give it another shot. Yeah, I I will.
3: I will. I will put. I will push it because Heather loves a lot of horror too, so she'll watch it. Okay. Um, I, I think it's just. And who knows? Yeah, you know, it's like time. Hey, we. Heck, it took us forever to get back to Breaking Bad because we like watched the first episode. And just at that point in our lives, she's like, Yeah, I don't know if I want to sit through this. And then we went back and watched it. It's like literally, the one of the greatest shows I've ever seen in my life. So. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. And, and Twin Peaks is it does now in the second season, David Lynch basically kind of checked out, so it kind of starts to go downhill. But, but it's. But if you watch that show, I will tell you this: as somebody who's met David Lynch. Kyle McLaughlin's character, Agent Dale Cooper, is David Lynch.
2: Okay. <laughs>
0: if you wanna know what
1: David Lynch is like? Okay. It's, it's Agent Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks. That's funny. But, um Jackson, have you seen Twin Peaks? Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm, I'm a huge Twin Peaks fan. And I gotta say, really quick, I think that your introduction to Twin Peaks being Firewalk with me, which was a major disservice because that movie is like trippy and weird and Twin Peaks is that a little bit, but I think for the most part it's David Lynch's like most grounded human. Maybe other than the straight story, it's, it's yeah. very very yeah. human. Uh, and there's lots of mysteries, but on a moment-to-moment basis, it's it's easy to follow what's going on. It and will. there's there's comedy and yeah
3: yeah, the good news is I literally haven't seen that movie since I think it was first released on video. so it I remember virtually nothing about it other than I okay, I, 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 I ultimately know who the killer is. So from that perspective, I guess it's spoiled for me. but yeah, it, it's yeah, I remember nothing about the movie.
0: well, yeah. and also don't share this with with your wife and I'm trying to whisper because my wife's upstairs. but it also stars co-star Sherilyn Finn and Matchin a Meek. So there's that. Ah.
3: Gotcha. Say no more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so yeah. it's, you know, it's not hard to watch. I'm just gotcha. saying, I'm tracking. <laughs> I gotcha. Yeah. Well,
3: I do want to mention you with Wendy Roby. So like I, again, well, listen, they actually have a special, uh, there's like three or four different, um, little short behind the scene type, you know, they do all the, on the screen factory. They always have like yeah. those little talking head type things. And they have one with her called house mother, which I thought was appropriate. And, First of all, I didn't realize this was her first feature, like, film. Like yep. She had done Twin Peaks, and she was a, she was a stage actor, but she was an actress. She was not a – you know, done any film. I thought she had done other movies. I don't know why I thought that, but obviously I was mistaken. That scene you mentioned earlier mm-hmm. about the uh, – when she's in the bath, which she takes Alice and throws her in the bathtub, and is looks so like she's scrubbing her with a wire brush. She talked about that that was the first scene they did together. Oh, wow. <laughs> So, wow, they had to get to this like just crazy, just over the top manic place. And they, she goes, Yeah, we worked out. Like, I told her, Okay, because it was like a real wire brush, apparently. She's like, so I told her if we could stretch your dress out, I could really look like I'm going at it, but I'm actually not going to be hitting you. Um, and, and so she explained how they did the whole thing, Wow, but uh, but yeah, I thought her performance of this is so, um, am- I mean, as wonderful as Everett McGill is. And he is. I love that guy. Yep. But Wendy Roby to me, because, and here's the key. She plays this, uh, Jackson, I believe you you alluded to, Carrie's mom, the, the Piper Laurie uh, yep. character. They, they, she, she is on some level like that, more in control, I think, even than she seemed to be in Carrie. But when she loses it, like, there is this sadness to her. And this awareness of it all falling apart and fear. So you get like how much of everything is a front and she knows it's a front. And she, she feels like the kind of person that is like 99% of her life just dealing with imposter syndrome. and has to put like such a front that she's got it all together. But the second things start to go sideways for her, she can't handle it. It's just all over. She just breaks down.
0: Oh, yeah, I, I think she's amazing in this. and it, it, Yeah, it's incredible, her backstory, because she was like, like you said, she was doing local theater in Washington State when she tried out for Twin Peaks and was cast by David Lynch and Mark Frost, and then Wes Craven becomes a fan of Twin Peaks, and next thing you know, she's in her first feature movie and is on record as saying this is the most fun she's ever had doing yeah. anything. Everett McGill was a musician-turned-actor. Who many will remember from if you if you don't know who we're talking about uh, he was in Heartbreak Ridge he was the you know opposite kind of bad guy in Heartbreak Ridge from Clint Eastwood he was in Under Siege 2 I don't know if you saw that Joel Under Siege uh, 2 I, I, years Seagal. ago years ago yes yeah he's the bad guy in that um, but he did a lot of stuff with David Lynch I love him I love him here I love him both in this and in Twin Peaks Jackson what did you think about Everett McGill and Wendy Roby as mommy and daddy
1: well, first of all, I want to say Everett McGill. Also, we covered Silver Bullet. Not good, that good, much. Good. Not yes! That's the big so p- yes! Go.
0: Jackson, I lit- I know
3: I was doing everything everyone who's listening was doing, which is they're going to mention Silver Bullet, right? Yeah.
1: Gotta- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying, too. I was, I was like, do I unmute my mic and jump in or what? Like, what am I? Um, but yeah, I mean, and this is a very different performance from his performance in yeah. Silver Bullet. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I, I love Everett McGill. I
0: think it was Greg Bench. And, and we yep. loved him in that, too. I mean, he gives a very complex performance in that. As well, like he can come across as charming and compassionate, and then, like, boom, flip a switch, and he's intimidating.
1: Yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I, I love him in, in Twin Peaks as well I mean, how could you not? I mean, Big Ed, it's Big Ed, um, Ed. And, and, and yeah Also uh, also um, Nadine, who is Really an odd character, but sympathetic uh, At some points um, Yeah, just someone obsessed with silent Drapes. Yeah, she really <laughs> wants to make The perfect silent drape runner uh, And that's all, you know That's yeah, admirable, I guess um, But, and that's the David Lynch shining Through there, that the whole <laughs> character's Existence is defined by, by silent drape runners but yeah. um but yeah so i i love them both in this um this this movie i think they're fantastic and and the fact that they worked together before probably helped uh, i'd imagine like and and I, I know that this was um this was her first movie um but um uh, but it probably wasn't that far off you know working with craven working with david lynch i'd, I'd say that there's some there's there's some you know uh carryover. you some experience you can take over um, but I think they do a fantastic job. Like I said, great, great screen villains. I think that um, that uh, woman is a little bit more complex um, as a character. I mean, obviously Everett McGill is really interesting, but uh, like especially at the end, and Joel was talking about this, and when we start to see the crack show, you know, we've seen her be able to charm the the child safety people and the and the police. We've seen how good she is. but you know, at the end when uh when uh fool sister comes to the door you know oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and she's just covered in soot and blood and 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 you see, see the crack show and she's no longer putting up with with any crap you know what i mean and i, I love that and then when the the stair people were chasing her around and everything's falling apart the system that they had set in place with with all these these uh, fail safes and they're just it's all gone to crap um, I, I love that and seeing and seeing the crack show and how she just breaks down completely and just goes, you know, full full psycho. Um, and uh, and yeah, I was I don't know if I, I don't think I said this earlier, but uh, the scene where she's on the stairs and she's 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 uh, got the knife and she's coming after Alice. Um, I don't know if either of you have seen Last Night in Soho yet. I would just uh, yeah, it. I, have I have not seen, the seen list it. I won't spoil it. Yeah, OK, good. I won't don't. spoil it um but anyways so i'll just move on uh from there (laughs) just uh (laughs) uh, but uh but yeah fantastic performances fantastic screen villains um and uh you know honestly if they if they weren't definitely dead at the end of this movie i i kind of think it would be interesting to see them in just various situations just mommy and daddy in various other horror movie situations let's see what they do in the bahamas that could be fun
3: Uh, Yeah, exactly. I I did want to mention that uh, because I would have really been like, uh, I should have my podcasting card revoked if I didn't mention this. I completely brain farted. First, I didn't realize everybody kills only got 28 credits. He feels like a guy who's in a lot more stuff, but maybe obviously not. Uh, He was in an episode of Werewolf, the TV series that Hammond and I covered. Uh, Oh,
0: Oh, my gosh. I'd forgotten about that.
3: Yeah, Blood on the Tracks. And I think it was the first season and he played a boxer.
0: He, well, he a, is a big guy, so that yeah, makes a, sense. Yeah,
3: yeah, he was a boxer. If I remember correctly, Eric Cord is like knew about, like had you know knew about him, and he had like kind of disappeared off the off the map. And there's like a whole thing with that, but uh, but he's great in that too. So uh,
0: yeah. he's great, but he is primarily, from what I've read and seen. I mean, he's primarily a musician and a theater actor. I mean, that's okay. what he loves to do. That's great. Cool. And you know, he's, he he kind of takes the Tony Todd approach. Tony Todd. I heard an interview say, you know, movies buy the house, TVs decorate the house, but theater is what keeps you an actor. Yeah. Yeah. and exactly. I think that's kind of his attitude as well.
3: Yeah. It's more for the soul, <laughs> the theaters, the, the stuff they do for their artistic outlet.
0: Yeah, exactly. So we have A.J. Langer, if I'm pronouncing her name correct as Alice, who yes. by the way, Jackson was just born up the road from here in Columbus, Ohio. Um, she was only 17 when they filmed this, but I immediately recognized her on her rewatch. She has done a
2: crap
0: ton of TV, yes. including Seinfeld. Yep. Um, she was in the episode who she had the mentor, and then her kind of world was rocked because her mentor started dating Banya, the hack comic, and she couldn't understand that. And so then, of course, George Costanza recruits her to be <laughs> – you know, mm-hmm. to be the mentor, um. But you know, she's done a lot of TV. I recognize her from a lot of things. But I really liked her as Alice. Joel?
3: Yes, I. I, I well, first off, I can either confirm or deny whether I had a crush on her back in the day. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, she's great as And I always forget because I like, go into her IMDb. Uh, listen, she was Utopia in Escape from LA. If you if you recall. Oh
0: movie, my gosh, that's
3: right. Yeah, it was like the daughter, right? That kind of I guess kind of does the. Uh, Gets in league with the uh, terrorists that take down the plane or whatever. (laughs) So, yeah, uh, if I remember correctly, that's that's who she was supposed to be. And it's not a big part, I don't think, in that. Um, And I was trying to remember there was a TV show. I'm going through her credits. I can't find it that she was on that. I remember liking, but it was very short lived. It wasn't something like
0: sisters or something like that. She had this show where she was on, like, with Diane Cannon was her mom and she was like the free-willing sister and she had an uptight sister and she had like a feminist sister and that's right
3: i but i'm not seeing yeah. anything in here that's making me think that's what it is cuz all the other shows she was in i recognize as being you know shows on their own so she was on Parker Lewis Can't Lose which was also shortly, but that's not what i'm thinking of i don't know not that uh, point,
0: I went, but i went to high school with the guy who played parker lewis but um with the guy who um- played him? Yeah, the guy who played him, he went to North Hollywood High at the same time I did. Oh. Um, yeah, everybody made a big deal out of it until the show got canceled. Then, of like, course, Hollywood being Hollywood it was like, yeah, we, we're not inviting you to the party anymore. Because um, <laughs> that's the way <laughs> LA works. <folks>. Yes, yeah, exactly.
1: <laughs> um, but now I really like her. Jackson, what yes. do you think of her as Alice? I think she does a great job and 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 uh, and she and I, I wasn't I wasn't like super blown away by her, by her performance until the attic scene. Uh, yes. the first attic when they're up in the attic, not not when she's chained up, although that was a great scene too when and when full was going to jump out the the window and he's like come with me she says this line which i loved as like daddy is storming into the attic she says what's out there you know she screams what's out there because she just doesn't know and that that delivery just like i was like wow that was fantastic and then when he comes back for her and she's and she's uh tied up in the attic it's just like that that's when her character really reached an emotional apex for me i think she did she did a great job there she um, does a great job you think of like emoting both like fear, but
0: also empathy and some yeah. strength. I mean, yeah, she does right. all three very well for a young actress. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I love that, and I also love, I mean, one of the first times we see her interact with with uh, uh, man and woman when she's in the, the room and uh, she was feeding um, she was feeding Roach in the walls mm-hmm. um, I, I just love her delivery there when she's you know it's, it's, she does a good and I mean again child acting she was a little bit older than um, than Brandon Quentin Adams but she still does a fantastic job just bouncing off of him and, and and holding her own against the older more experienced actors so yeah I think she does a great job and, and like all of I mean this, this ca- even like um you know Kelly Jo Mentor like I, I think that all these people that even the smaller roles are fantastic i don't know if we're gonna like have a huge discussion about this but i was really blown away by jeremy roberts as spencer like when he was on screen and that that gas uh the mm-hmm. gas lake ruse i was that was a great scene that was a fantastic scene and i, I think he really he did,
0: okay that. so tell me because he didn't
1: you know he didn't blow me away i thought he was good but he didn't yeah. blow me away i what love about that, that? Okay. I don't know. It's like we see how greasy he is, right? When he's in the van, and then yes. he's all well put together, and he then gets gas, and then he's like, he's he thinks so on his feet so quickly. Um, he it's it's fantastic. It was very satisfying for me. Like like we know how how cunning woman uh, woman is, and she like comes up with things like, "May I see your identification?" And you know, like she knows about the gas uh, like monitors and stuff, and and he just thinks on his feet all the time, and somehow gets in the house. So it it was just really satisfying for me the writing in that part and the delivery from him it's just a small part but um yeah i I really um i really think he did a good job and great corpse acting too he plays a great corpse
0: (laughs) (laughs) was that him or all right i'm not gonna get into it but we do also have sean whalen as roach before we wrap up the cast who has he's got you know for a guy who is kind of I don't want to be mean, but kind of got a Steve Buscemi thing going on with his looks. Like I said, guy's got 138 credits. Um, Jackson, he was in three from hell. I'm not even
1: going to ask Joel about that because he's not a Rob Zombie <laughs> fan. But do you remember him from three from hell? I don't. I don't remember him from three from hell. He did look familiar, though, and I didn't know what he was from. I, twister. Looked
0: at him. Well, I mean, twister. you.
1: you well, he was in Twister. Yeah. He did
0: an episode where he played one of the weirdos, a weirdo That's family. That's what I'm going to say. Yes, yeah, Always
1: Sunny. He's one of the McPoyles and Always Sunny. Yes. And yep. that's what I knew him from. I knew I with the the soot on his face and and the out tongue. He was basically playing a McPoyle in this movie. But I, I, um, I'm still waiting. I used to travel. I, I have to wait. You know, you
0: you you've turned 18 this year, so now I can do it. When I used to travel to Philadelphia, they always had different. It's always Sunny's TV shirt uh, T-shirts, but I can't get you. I thought I gotta wait till he's 18, or his mother's gonna kill me. Yeah, um, <laughs> because I know you're a fan of It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. But he was also he was. Neil Frogert in Lost.
3: Yeah, that's right, Frogert. It, yes,
0: I, I, it's been so long since I've seen Lost. I just barely remember that. But he was also in Wait for Jackson. He was part of the gang in Tammy and the T Rex.
1: That's and That was the other thing I was going to say because I took a picture of him because I thought his face was so funny when they're taking him to the the wildlife conservation place when i first yeah. watched tammy t-rex and he's just grinning and he's like what are we gonna do with them you know i love i love his performance uh, in that that's what i was gonna say he is so funny in that movie just visually uh with that big grin on his face and yeah so yeah I, he's 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 fantastic and i then, have an unashamed love for tammy and the it's T-Rex. a great
0: movie
3: you'll never hear me judge one's love for goofy a goofy movie there's just yes. Never,
0: yeah. oh yes oh man yeah with yeah the evil the evil doctor is bernie from weekend from bernie i mean come on it's fantastic it's it's so stupid it's fantastic but i'm sorry go ahead jackson finish your point uh
1: i don't remember what i was gonna say but that's
0: uh, you well, know that's
1: that's been I'm thinking about Tammy the T Rex now. I'm thinking about <laughs> Paul Walker's brain in a jar and Denise Richards is stripping for his brain. And <laughs> she she also pours alcohol on his brain. What's with that? Uh nice. but that's a great that's a great movie. We should we should cover that again. Let's do that. Uh, do I can't watch that again. Yeah, why not? But well,
0: uh I, I just think overall it's a great cast. Can we all agree on that? Yes.
3: Oh yeah, and you did mention briefly Kelly Joe Mittner uh yes. when we were Yeah and you know, or Minter, I said she said mintner, mintur. And yeah, she was. Not only was she in obviously this movie and in Nightmare on the Street Five. I feel like those are the the, the bigger horror films. But she was in Popcorn, which I'm a massive yeah, fan yeah. of, and I will not apologize for it. Me neither. Um, she was Summer in. School. I was about to say a movie that is not horror, but does have a wonderfully graphically gory scene in it, it's summer school. I love that movie so much. And, and another one that I feel like does not get enough love. That's uh, from back in the day, the principal, do you remember that one with Jim yes! Belushi uh, Gossett Jr. I just ah. talked about the other
0: day, Jim Belushi and, and uh, Louis Gossett Jr. Yep. Uh, yep.
3: Yeah, absolutely. That, I, I love that movie, and uh, you she know it's
0: Rayvon Chang, who I had a crush on back in the oh
3: early. yeah, yeah, she, yeah. She's great in that as well. So you know it's funny because in this movie you know, we ever obviously really gone into like the fact that the the racism and stuff because like so many other things in this movie like whether it's the the sort of uh, issues of you know. Wealth disparity and and the fact that you know they the the essentially this movie is all is like a big you know uh, festival of distribution of wealth yep. <laughs> if you're going down right to it. Um, but the the racial stuff in it as well, it's obviously there. But like so many other aspects of it, there it's there, but it never feels like a heavy-handed thing. For instance, the, I think it's man when talking about their store that got broken into, he drops the end bomb. And that's like the only time that they say it, they refer to people being dirty. And, and, but they seem to have this elitist attitude about everybody, even though when you really get right down to it, their house kind of seems grimy and gross in so many areas too. Again, it's all Mm -hmm. that front, like the parlor, really nice. Uh, that's about it. They, their bedroom. Their bedroom looked pretty nice. And Alice's. Oh, the, yeah, yeah.
0: It's, what is it? Ving Rhames has uh, that line. So it says, good to know the rich people have rats, too.
3: Yes, exactly. It's like, <laughs> it, it, the house is- Especially that bathroom fool ends up where he smacks just uh, okay. the head that you love, uh, Jackson. You know, it's, it's really gross. And so, but they, again, they pass that judgment. But if you pay attention, back to Wendy Roby's performance, something she does, it's so subtle. But she does it- to, oh, I only- that Off the top of my head, maybe I'm wrong, but I think she only does it to Fool and to Ruby, his sister, where- she does this thing where she eyeballs them up and down. Like she's yes. just so disgusted by their being in their presence. And it's very subtle. Like it's very quick. If you have to really be watching her eyes and you can't blink, but she just does this thing. Where she just like looks them from foot to, to top of the head a couple of times. It just, and it's like it's so just feels demeaning. I don't I, the only way I could put it is just the way she does it. It feels so judgmental, so demeaning. And it's very subtle, but it's 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 really good because it encapsulates. Her her attitude towards these characters. So it's like it's not bad, just bad enough, right, that they they're obviously coming from extreme poverty, that they're just desperately dealing with the situation with their mom. And God only knows what's going to happen to them as a family if she dies. Uh, and then combining all of that with the fact that them being black Americans in this home under these circumstances is like every aspect of that could have been very easily <laughs> turned into a message sandwich. It could have just turned into, right. Let's, let's get on our soapbox, but but again, it's there, the layers are there, it's important to the story, but it never feels, and I also thought to some degree, it's about almost like, I don't know, hear me out when I say this, but it's like moral clarity. I feel like Wes Craven, however you feel about his politics, you can't argue that he believes in what he believes in. And there is a moral clarity to his take on these things. So you feel right. like when you, it's like the whole idea, like when you argue with somebody in good faith or, you know, and you know somebody, are you, are you just trying to win points or you, act, you actually believe the things you're saying, or are you just say these things to win points, you know, that kind of thing Whereas somebody like Craven, no, I have, I believe he hundred percent believed in what he believed in. And there's no, this, absolutely, and there's a, there's a moral clarity to it. Whereas, Uh, uh, hypothetically a movie, Black Christmas 2019, I'm looking at you, where you feel like, (laughs) you feel like somebody is just trying to either win points, or they're just trying to make a point to to the detriment of everything else in the movie, and it's like, and you feel, I, I don't know how to explain it other than you just feel it so uh not to go like completely on a rant about all that again
0: (laughs) but i i agree with you and and we brought it up earlier i i I, there's a reason why i think that for example jordan peele loves this movie because Mm -hmm. i think it does a very good job it's earnest and it's not look it's not lost on me you know i i thought about this i you know you know jackson and i wanted to invite you on this because we know how much you love this movie and we always want to have somebody do that um, which makes me wonder why Ashley, barely Ashley wanted to be on the Rob Zombie things. But anyway, it, um, <laughs> I, isn't she great though? Um, fantastic. She's fantastic. But um, it's not lost on me that we're three like middle or upper class white dudes talking about this. But at the same, you know, and, and I thought about this, you know, but, but it's written by a wealthy white mm-hmm. dude um, yeah. and directed but I still don't get it coming across as being patronizing or being preachy. And maybe that's also, you know, you talked about earlier, Joel, that in one, you can kind of see where Craven may be taking shots at his upbringing, at being kind of upset that he was raised in such a strict religious home. But at the same time, people with enough intellect and emotional intelligence can kind of take a step back where it's like, But I don't completely misunderstand it. I don't, you know, I I don't necessarily see where no one can come from that, you know, uh, approach so that you don't come across as heavy-handed. And, you know, because... And I think Jordan Peele does that very well. Um, there are a couple other filmmakers that I think do that very well, but not many. Many of them, if they have a message in their movie, they just beat the crap out of you with it, and yes. it doesn't necessarily feel as earnest. Like, you know, my politics. You know, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, but I, you know, and I disagree with Bill Maher more than I agree with him. But I appreciate when, like, Bill Maher says, "I'll quit being a limousine liberal." Like, yeah. you know, when he can, when he has that, like, oh, come on, you're, you're virtue signaling, you yeah. know, you're, you're doing all that kind of crap. And I, you know, I don't get that. You know, you can kind of look at this movie and go, man, Wes Craven has said this is a commentary on American society as a whole. So greedy, cannibalistic, incestuous, murdering S&M couple. Yep. Well, dude, that's a fairly low view of American culture, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. Yeah, it, it is his view, you know, and I was like, my own view was pretty cynical. You know, I, yep. I tell people, I tell my church all the time, I'm not a glass half full or a glass half empty guy. I'm a, there's a hole in the glass that has acid in it, we're all going to die. And even <laughs> I'm not that cynical, you know, I, I describe optimists as people who don't understand the situation. Um, But <laughs> I, I I do agree with you. I think it is, and I think you said it, I think you nailed it, Ernest. I think he's coming from an honest place. Yes. And I think and it you sense le- that.
3: You sense that. And and your point, like politically I'm I'm right there with you. Like I'm neither and I kinda hate everybody. Yeah. Um yeah. so <laughs> I I uh I and and it's also like I, I, this is the sad part to me. Is like, I feel like on some level, I don't, I don't know, because you know, with the way things are today, you know, filmmakers and their bravery. It's, like, are, are they going to be brave enough to be honest? Like, like to your point about Peel and sort of some of the subtext in us, if you want oh, yeah. to look for being there. Like, you know, that to me takes more cojones to do in some cases. Yep. Th- than going along with the company line because that's the other issue. We can get go go down the road of like the corporatization of everything and blah blah blah. But the point is, is that with Craven stuff, I again. I may not always agree with every little, which you shouldn't, it's called nuance. You should be right. able to hear different ideas. I always, I love things being challenged. Tell me why I'm wrong and like convince me. I have no problem right. with that whatsoever. And, and I feel like that's that's something that a lot of people has lost. <laughs> so what I love about Craven though, is there is that nuance there where I, I may agree with like this element, but that element, I'm like, I don't know, but I right. feel it's, there's still a, it's something interesting there. And it's, and it goes back to the, the, good faith sort of the he has a clear view of of his way of seeing things and he is sharing that and you never get that sense of the sort of i'm yeah i'm trying to win brownie points i'm right. trying to trying to pander i'm trying to patronize it doesn't it ever to me and yeah to your point you know i, I i'm a, a middle class white guy that at some point came from you know even lower, I, I despite Daryl's mockery of me. Uh, <laughs> my my dad's <laughs> side of the family, literally growing up. My dad at one point, her family literally had a dirt floor. They were that poor. I mean, they were like. Yeah dirt poor. And it's so like, I've seen that like in the elements of my family. And so I, I think that's, a I think that's something that I feel like there's a lot of people today, especially, and I know I'm sounding like an old fart now, but where <laughs> they seem to miss that, that nuance of we're all human. Like there really is only one right. race, the human race. Right. And that there are things that if you really, you don't even have to dig that deep to see how the commonalities that we share and those, like there's things that fool as a young kid is experiencing coming from the world he's coming from that i've never of course not of course i have no but there's still a humanity there and there's still things within his experience that you can find a connection point with and that's really the best you can ask for
0: no i uh well said i absolutely agree and so jackson there is a lot there but um what 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 say you
1: well, I I, I just wanna sum it all up. I, I I would say I agree that People Under the Stairs is so earnest and it's it's political beliefs and its messaging. Um and, and Black Christmas to use an early earlier example. is is patronizing. And it reminds me of, and by the way, I'm gonna end this analysis the way you should end every thoughtful political discussion. Well, but wait a minute, which um, black Christmas? Oh yeah, Be because very specific. The new one. The new new <laughs> okay. the new new okay. new. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh, and I'm I'm gonna end I, I will admit I'm gonna end this this analysis the way you should end every thoughtful, uh, and measured political discussion. Okay. With mm-hmm. a Borat quote. Uh, it reminds, <laughs> it reminds me of that classic quote. What you're saying to us is demeaning Borat. Do you know what that word means? So, um, <laughs> that's Black like Christmas 2019. Um, yeah.
3: <laughs> Yeah, I also had somebody say Black Christmas 2019, it feels like it was written by somebody who gets, like, all of their political ideas from Twitter. Like, that's what it is. It's like yes. you, you, everything's 140 characters. There's nothing – no substance, there's, nothing deep. It's just – There's
0: a comedian I follow on on Twitter, and he's, he's very conservative. I disagree with him often. You know, he's an anti-vaxxer, but he's still funny. Yeah, And he, he made a comment once like during the last presidential election, which, you know, of course, we vote on Tuesday. He said, if you get your political opinions from Twitter, don't forget to vote on Wednesday. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's a good joke. That's a funny yeah, joke. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. But no, Jackson, you're right. I forgot that line from Borat. That's fantastic. <laughs> Do you know what that means? Do you know what the meaning is? <laughs> <laughs> what that word means? <laughs> oh, the, the, oh guys. So uh, it shocks me to look at the reviews. It has about 68% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is not bad Screw for a 1991 1991- Oh, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, but that's not bad for a 1991 horror film.
3: That's fair enough, but this movie deserves better.
0: I I, I agree, but... Roger Ebert gave this a mixed review and a thumbs down, but Gene Siskel, really? Gene Siskel gave it a thumbs up. I'm going to say, are you ready
3: for my hot take, my controversial hot take for the episode? Yep. Nothing Good else word. I've said, nothing else I've said, which by the way, if you've hated everything I've said, go ahead and rail against me on social media. I don't care because I'm not on it. Um, <laughs> The, uh, the, the, I honestly think the more time passes, I, I prefer Siskel. I'm serious, because it's like Ebert drives me crazy, because on one hand, he plays a little like, oh, I'm a horror fan. Yeah, are you, though? Because he, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, are you? Are you really? Yeah, but
0: Siskel never claimed to be. You're right. I mean, he never claimed to be. And, yeah, I remember being, this will date me. I was 11 years old. And I used to watch one of the reasons I watched Siskel and Ebert when I was a kid was because I wanted to see clips and stuff and then talk about the movies I knew I wasn't allowed to see. Yeah. <laughs> so, right. So, in 1983, I'm watching Siskel and Ebert and they're reviewing Psycho 2. I wanted to see Psycho 2 so badly, but I was 11 years old and my parents uh-huh. would not let me see an R rated movie when I was 11 years old. For some reason, I turned 13. They didn't care. I don't know what happened there, but and they, they're reviewing Psycho 2. And Roger Ebert says, it's very well written, be- better than it deserves to be. It's very well directed. You know, the the actors are great, you know, da-da-da-da-da. But we don't need a Psycho sequel, so thumbs down.
3: Yeah. You know what? By the way, what the hell does that mean? Better than it deserves to be? Based on what? <laughs> what you think?
0: <laughs> I guess he's just saying, to- you know, how can you do a good sequel to a classic? Like doing Casablanca you, 2. You
3: know how you do it? You ready for this, Matt? You know how you do it? Um, uh, psycho 2.
0: That's how you do it. Well, you're you got a point. Yeah, because Psycho <laughs> is a good movie. Yeah. it's and a, good- <laughs> it is a very good movie, actually. And I yeah, I agree with you. But um uh, you know, Jackson, I know you didn't grow up with Siskel and Ebert, but does that shock you that Siskel liked this and Ebert didn't?
1: It it did shock me, and I watched that earlier, um, and I, I had that written in my notes. It was so funny. Yeah. I have a I have a loose quote. It's more of a paraphrase because I was kind of like typing and listening, um, but but a, a loose quote, a paraphrase. I'll say from from Roger Ebert when he's talking about people under the stairs. This is how it introduces the movie. Horror picture director Wes Craven, great name for a director of horror pictures, by the way, brings us a new depiction of depravity and the people under the stairs. So that's how he <laughs> he introduced it. Um, and Siskel at one point uh, refers to the the stair people as zombies and pretended not to know what Dawn of the Dead was called, uh, having to have Ebert remind him. That's that's how mu- much he doesn't even care about horror movies. He had to be reminded of what Dawn of the Dead and Night of the Living Dead were called. Sure, um, which, by is the way, so funny. didn't Ebert? When you watched it, didn't Ebert critic criticize it for being gory and this is the guy who gave four out of four stars to dawn of the dead yeah, I found that really odd. I also found it odd that he 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 said he liked the politics, and he said at least it wasn't a slasher picture. But he still said, and it's it's just a horror picture, you know. He's just he's just not recommending it. He's down on it. But then mm. Fiskal jumps in and says, you know, I thought it was bad, but I'm still recommending it. It's such an odd review. Like if you watch it, it's all over the <laughs> they place. They were just odd, period. I mean, yeah. you may remember it, this
0: Joel because this is this is when you know you 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 were probably in your like college age or around there siskel hated scream but liked scream too yeah that was
3: weird i remember that to this day yes i do remember that and you know and the thing is here's here's what it is for me siskel i kind of know what i'm getting in the sense like to your point he never liked horror he never pretended to like horror and so when he actually gave a horror movie a good review for him you're like oh wow okay (laughs) like that's a whereas ebert here's the thing i don't give an ebert ebert liked last house on the left yes Explain that one to me. I He's know one of the few people that championed that movie in any way, shape, or form. He, and along it, with the village voices, are the, are the ones who saved Halloween, John Carpenter's Halloween. I, yeah, I know. It's a oh, so on one end, you want to say okay, but then it's like, oh, but then you'll give you'll, you'll, uh, um, uh, Betsy Palmer's address out, like or whatever. Yes. It, you know, it's, it's like
0: that, yeah, yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah, uh, I, I, it drives me crazy. Like, I don't get <laughs> I, I don't get it. I don't get why they, they would do what they did. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm I'm being obviously extremely facetious. I don't dislike either of them. I, I, they were they were what they were. They were film critics at the time. They were a big part of all of our childhoods growing up, and they did have very interesting ideas and thoughts about things that opened my mind up to a uh, two things that I wasn't normally, but it, it drives me crazy. Like, and, I, and it always bothered me. The, the, uh, the Betsy Popper thing. Like, I always, when I heard that, I'm like, really, did they really do that? And like, yeah, I think they're, they aversion oh. to like slasher films. Like they just don't review them, man. Like don't give them any press at all.
0: Like, why are you? No, they don't get it. And I, I actually, we talked about this Jackson back when we covered the Friday 13th franchise. I, I understand one of their criticisms later on where, where I can see where it would disturb somebody. Like, like, when you get later into, like, the franchises of Friday 13th and stuff, you're obviously rooting for Jason, and you're, you've got a bunch of—with the exception of the final girl and her boyfriend or whatever, you've got a bunch of D-bags that you can't wait to see chopped up, and, and they found that disturbing. I can kind of get that, but at the same time, like, a movie like the original Friday 13th or something like that, or my favorite, Friday 13th Part 2, uh, you know, all the—I I don't think they got it at all. No. No. I, they completely missed the boat.
3: I always feel like that's how their their review should have at least begun or ended, which is, and at the end of the day, we didn't get it. <laughs> at least we know. Yeah. Okay. We,
0: we we just don't get it. We just we don't, don't get, it. get it. So, yeah, and Jackson, I know you've watched enough YouTube videos of Cisco, and you get what we're saying. Agree or Disagree.
1: Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I think they were. They, they, I love Siskel and Ebert. They're very entertaining. I watched. I watch clips of their show in the same way that I would watch, you know, like any kind of show. It's, it's, it's fun. It's interesting. It's entertaining. Uh, I disagree with them just as much as I agree with them. Maybe not on dramas and stuff like that. But, mm-hmm. but as far as horror movies and action movies go, I usually uh, tend to disagree with them as much as I agree with them. Um, but, uh, but it's just so funny to hear them, like the, the, them, uh, them defend some movies and, and. I mean, like like we were talking about earlier, he hates, Ebert hated slashers because it was violence against women and it was, you know, just violence, period. But again, he loved Halloween and Last House on the Left, which is one of the most violence against women type they, movies they ever. Both
0: loved, they both loved Henry, Portrait of a Serial Killer. Yeah,
1: <laughs> And I agree with them. It's a great movie, but why, what, what's your standard here? But anyways, yeah, I, I loved it. I loved watching the review of People Under the Stairs. It was so funny having just watched the movie and then watching them review it and the clips they show from it to try to fit their agenda it's just so funny um but uh but yeah so i i it's it's always fun like if you watch a movie just give it a quick google search see if uh if ebert and Siskel reviewed it um because it, it'll be a fun time for you but uh definitely disagree with them a lot on on certain things but still you know r.i.p to the both of them and um yes. it, and uh I do
0: miss that kind of show
1: i wish there still was one that was out there
0: but um, look it, this was a box office success i mean it was made for six million it made over 30 million typically the rule in hollywood back when you actually had to buy advertising on network television was that if it you know if you can triple your budget and you're gonna make money well, it did that, so it made at yep. least twelve million dollars. So it was yep. it was a hit, and you know, and and Craven was kind of needing a hit at that point because you know, um, Shocker didn't exactly mm-hmm. set the box office on fire. No matter what you think of that movie, I like Mitch Pileggi in it, but yep. um and there's been a lot of talk about a remake or a TV series. Do we need a remake of this, Joel? No, I I personally say no because unfortunately, Jordan
3: Peele I have heard wants to possibly do it again. Yeah. My only concern is. And I feel like he's one of the few that would do be able to to maintain the balance. Um, But my concern would be that whoever did it, it would just become so heavy handed. They would miss the point and would just be like, okay, moving on. We'll pretend the first one exists and the other one doesn't. Um, That's my take on it. If Peel does it, I'm interested. Anybody else? I don't know. I, I would I would have to seriously I would go into it with massive reservations.
0: Yeah, I can see that. Jackson, what about you? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> you're a man of few words today you're like yep i agree okay there mm-hmm. we are um, yeah. <laughs> so um i i look i think this is technically well made um i i, I think it's well done um i don't know what else you guys want to talk about here i will say that my favorite scene is when fool runches, uh launches out and punches man or daddy in the nards I
3: oh love- yes <laughs> yes that's so great <laughs>
1: Yeah. Jackson, do you have a favorite scene, buddy? Uh, I don't, I really love the introduction of the landlords. Like when we first see the family, we cut the shot of the fireplace with with a man sitting by the fire and and a woman sitting behind. And then Alice, you know, what happened to those people? Uh, I don't remember talking to you. I love that. And and her talking about finally we'll get clean people in those, you know, in that area. I I absolutely love the, um, the, uh, just the introduction of them. We instantly know how evil they are. Um, which is fantastic. I also, uh, you know, I, I I really really like the scene where they're running through the the walls and the dog yes. is coming after them. It's just really really cool. I don't know. It's uh, and just imagining them building those sets. And I. I absolutely love when, when fool is exploring the basement for the first time and he finds out about the stair, the stair people and the, the flashlights through the, through the, uh, the slats and the walls and everything. It's just so creepy. Um, I mean that whole, like him discovering all the nooks and crannies of the house is so interesting because it's kind of like fantastical. It's kind of like this, this crazy, like, uh, almost like Winchester house where it's just like, yes, rooms that's upon a rooms good example. and, a and good, weird yeah. places. And, and it's just really interesting. It's, awesome set that they built it's it's really cool so um yeah i don't know I, and i do love that scene where he he just out with no warning comes out and punches uh <laughs> man in the north but also the scene where uh him and roach and alice are in her room and then just out of nowhere the the parents come storming in i mean it's just yes. like bust down the door out of nowhere that's like a good jump scare that's that's a that's a really good uh scary moment so yeah i don't know too many too many to call um uh, uh, I I love it, and I love the scene inside the the vault, man. There's so many, there's so many great, great scenes in this movie, and and uh, and the part where they're pulling her through the staircase, yeah. It's it's just it's so many good good set pieces, and this one little house for six million dollars, which I was impressed by because six million dollars, like now, it's unfeasible, right, to make a to make a feature length. Uh, well, Blumhouse does it, but you know, yeah, but, true, yeah, but it's you but for yeah, a Universal picture scale, yeah. Yeah, it's it's it, the very cheap and very impressive. I guess it is that one house, but that one house is really impressive, like the variety of of settings we get in that one house.
0: Yeah, and I don't uh, know if they just shot exteriors there. I, I didn't look yeah, that up, but course. I have no idea. But, Joe, what about you? Anything else you want to talk about with people under the stairs? Any favorite scenes? Anything you want to talk about before we wrap this up?
3: Well, pretty much, uh, Jackson hit all my favorite scenes, and in fact, pretty much my favorite scenes start at uh, minute uh, one, and they go through till the last, uh, you know, 40 hour, uh, hour 40 plus minutes. <laughs> but I do want to mention the DP, because this I think this movie is wonderfully shot, is uh, Sandy Sissel. I did going to this movie this time. I didn't realize, so it was a woman DP, and the reason that's a really big deal is because especially in 1991, there weren't a lot of women DPs. There aren't that many now, but. I mean there really weren't a lot. And it's cool because she hadn't done horror and Craven really liked a movie she had done and he met with her, really liked her, they hit it off. And uh you know I, I think this movie is wonderfully shot. I think it looks really, really good. In a way too, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but even though it's a, obviously a different DP than Scream, there's a similar look in certain moments. And in fact, interior of the house, did you ever get like a Stu's house vibe? Yes. I don't, I did. Nice. I got this, yep. like, Stu's house. Like, it reminded me of Stu's house for some reason, um, interior-wise. Not exterior, obviously, but but the interior uh, for sure. In fact, uh, another movie she was the uh, cinematographer on uh, was a movie called Full Eclipse, which we covered a long time ago on Richard Movie Geek from 93 with uh, Mario Van Peebles and the Hickok.
0: Oh, is that is a cop that- werewolf movie? Yes, the cop yeah.
3: where Patsy Kensit is in it. Yep. Oh, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Okay. That's a fun one, Jackson if you ever get a chance and and have like a a couple hours you want to want to waste <laughs> also the produ- the producing team of this uh Stuart Besser, uh Marianne Metana, these are all the people that w- would stay with Craven pretty much to the end and produce all the screen movies with him and uh uh definitely I, I I'm pretty sure Stuart Besser was on all the screen movies and I know Marianne uh, Madalena was involved with a lot of that so mm. it's kind of neat there's the same you know team that he kept through the end uh, and then uh, the music Don Peake we kind of alluded to this earlier Yeah, cool, because he did the music for Hills Have Eyes and didn't work again with Craven until this movie and apparently he did it to bail him out because I guess Graham Revel um, and I, I, I can't they mentioned the movies that he had done and the name rings a bell for me but I don't like off the top of my head I couldn't tell you like what he's known for I don't know if you guys know him but he was the original uh, uh, composer for the the movie, and I guess he was trying to make like a, almost like a jazzy kind of percussiony score. And Cravens, try- yeah, and they were trying to do like a mix of this movie. And he just finally called up uh, Don Peake. I guess they still had connection to each other. He's like, "I need your help, please help me." And apparently, in like three, <laughs> in three days, Don and his son, I guess, got to pull in a carpenter situation. Um, oh. got that that score done for him. So, I thought that was pretty impressive.
2: Wow.
0: Yeah. Oh, wow. And you you made mention to this before if you want to bring it up again and tease anything else. Uh, the parallels Craven draws between this and The Hills Have Eyes.
3: Yeah, because at the end of the day, it's like it, it's it's inverted a little bit. Obviously, The Hills Have Eyes you've got this Family that's very primitive seeming living in the in the in the hills (laughs) and and then the suburban, you know, kind of clean cut family that's, you know, uh, it just comes through and and has and they gradually have to become less and less civilized to survive. This kind of twists that around a bit, right, because the family, you know, uh, mommy and daddy, um, they are. The ones who, even though they give on the veneer of like being super civilized with all mm-hmm. their money and everything, they are in fact the ones that are the most uncivilized. The the people under the stairs obviously have like devolved <laughs> into which, yeah. is it me or does that one, the stairmaster, always remind you like Sebastian Bach? Like there's something about him. Oh,
0: he definitely does. He's got the hair. That's he's
3: got cool. like that late eighties, early nineties skid row thing going on, man. Yep. <laughs> Or warrant, or I don't, I don't know. It was teased out a little bit more, um, and so, uh, yeah. So they, so they develop, but also this time around, I was paying attention. to things Like first, it's okay. So we mentioned full sister's name is Ruby. We got a Ruby mm-hmm. in Hills Have Eyes. The fact that Alice, though, as a character, is in a lot of ways like Ruby in Hills Have Eyes, in that she's part Very of the good. family. Yeah yeah, and then she ends up helping and 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 turning against them. Uh, I think Craven said to him that what he liked about Whalen is he reminded him to some degree of Michael Berryman uh, of just having like an, an interesting look and, and like being like a Pluto character. obviously he's a lot more likable and nice than Pluto ever was. yeah, but yeah, there's there are these parallels. I love to actually, like dig deeper because I feel like there's probably even more similar connections between the two films.
0: Ah, that's fantastic. So, um jackson any thoughts before we rate and uh, recommend this sucker what do you what do you think they're, they're
1: definite parallels to the hills have eyes don't you think oh absolutely yeah and i, I was thinking that too I, I definitely got got the same vibes from there only, only other note i have of this movie and i think it's a, its biggest strength uh technically is that i love how this movie keeps moving and, you know, it's it's an yes. hour 40, but there's always something, whether it's daddy or it's, it's Prince, the it's something that forces Fool to not stay in one place for too long. And I love that. It's like we're always moving. We're never we're never lulling. Even when there's a conversation, like I said, we have that scene where they're just kind of hanging out in Alice's bedroom talking, you know, Roach and Alice and, and Fool. But then the parents bust in the door, you know, all yes. of a sudden. So we're and now we're moving again. So it it never just dwells in the same place for too long. You can't because there's always somebody on the prowl looking for you. Um, so I love that and it keeps it fresh. It keeps it moving. There's so many different interesting rooms in that house. Um, and and yeah. So I, I I think that's the movie's biggest strength. It definitely could have dragged more since we're it's a one location movie. We have very limited cast. Um, but uh, but. Yeah, I I think it I think it definitely keeps it fresh, keeps it entertaining. I was never bored during it. So that's really its biggest strength, I think, for a nineteen ninety one horror movie set in one location. I was glued to the screen the whole time.
3: And to that point, Jackson, even the scene with Grandpa Booker, which is very brief, but because it's Bill Cobbs who is a fantastic character actor. Yeah. You know, that scene where he's doing what was an expository dump, which, by the way, would be the scene where if it was done nowadays, there would be a preachy message that we were sure the Simpleton audience could finally understand what mm-hmm. we're trying to say in this movie. Um, But it was none of that. It was still engaging, first off, because of him, because he's a great mm-hmm. actor. Yes. But, but it's still giving us – a it's expository, but it's at a great time because we've just had this intense – Scene. We don't know what's happened to Alice. Fool just got got away, and, and it's like so. We need a downtime. We need a we need a rest to beat, and we get that in that scene, and it's still engaging and it's quick. It's not like it's drawn out, but we get just enough information now to know. Oh wow, these people are even more weird and messed up than we thought they were.
0: hmm. Now I yeah I I should have mentioned um uh, Bill Cobb's, who I think he's still alive. I think Born so. Nineteen thirty
3: four. Yeah, dude, dude, he's still going. And he he has like a, almost 200 credits, I think. he got
0: a ton of credits. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Man, I mean, man, oh, man, oh, man. Yeah, I'm just looking over some of them now. And I, yeah, I remember him from New Jack City. Yep. Uh, Demolition Man. I love oh, yep. him Demolition Man. Yep. Uh, oh, man. Yeah. Guy's so good. Also from Cleveland, like Wes Craven. Ah, very cool. Yeah, he's a great, great actor. Yeah. So what do we... Um, want to rate this sucker I know we're all going to recommend it I, I will go first, I will tell you that if you'd asked me when I walked out of the theater in 1991, I probably said "Oh, it's, you know, it's good, it's 7 out of 10 I think on Letterboxd when I re-watched it um, a few years ago, I said 8 out of 10 Guys, I think I'm up to like a 9 out of 10 <laughs> Yeah, buddy And I bought the Scream Factory Blu-ray So, yeah, I I absolutely love it So, Joel, what about you?
3: as if you have to ask how cute <laughs> it is a 10 out of 10 i not only own the scream factory and i'm not i think this may be the one movie i also own on vhs i also own on laserdisc wow and yes i believe i have it. i don't have it in just traditional dvd form i sure it's to my shame to my great shame but i have all the other ones uh yes this movie i cannot recommend it enough if you have never seen it, of course if you've never seen it and you've listened to this whole thing you've just ruined so many wonderful surprises but regardless it'll still be fun you'll still enjoy the heck out of it uh i cannot recommend this movie enough absolutely a 10 out of 10 i love it
0: and a great poster by the way oh yeah
3: which i have autographed by uh sean whalen uh brandon adams and uh Jan birch
0: wow that's cool that one? yeah so, Jackson, you're going to wrap this up. What's your rating? I know you've only seen it, you know, this is your first weekend ever seeing it. But where are you going? And you're always the toughest. So Don't disappoint me, Jackson.
1: <laughs> uh, oh, uh, uh, no, I I I'm I'm going to go with it was a little bit lower, like at the beginning of this discussion. I think I'm going to bump it up. Um, I'm going with an eight out of 10 for this movie. First oh, time so. watch eight out of okay. 10 four, four stars out of five. Um, I, I did really enjoy it. The Joel, I gotta say, out of your favorite movies, I think like the Stepfather, just a just a step for just a just a smidge more. I think the Stepfather is a smidge higher for me.
3: Oh, uh, you know what's um, weird? I, that you would be, I'd be hard pressed to tell you which one. I you know technically, I think I had Stepfather mm-hmm. ranked higher in my top ten list, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, it depends on my mood. You know what I mean? Like, there's, it's yeah. there always a mood thing with me, with because they're so different, right? They're just totally different.
0: They're different, but one of the things, one of the things that just, I, I will just say, and we, you can go back and listen to our Stepfather episode if you haven't. But Terry O'Quinn's performance of that is just one of oh. the best in horror movies ever.
3: Yes. Proving that the Academy Awards is an utter sham, yet again.
0: Yes. Yes. <laughs> absolutely. So All right. So you're saying you're saying eight out of ten. Are you
1: calling this a buy, Jackson? I, I would say it's a buy. I don't own it. Uh, I watched it on Amazon, but yeah, I I would definitely like to watch the behind the scenes stuff. That, oh, that, that, that intrigues it. me.
3: There's great, great, great behind the I mean it's got the, you got two commentaries, one with the stars, one with Craven. You got right. uh Four different little, um, what do you call those, uh, vignettes? But you know I'm talking about, little short, 15-minute yep. long. One with uh, Wendy Roby, one with uh, K&B, because we didn't even mention the fact they did the effects. Um, and they got all three of them in that. Uh, the director of photography, Sandy Sissel, does one. And setting the score, which is with Don Peake. You get a behind-the-scenes footage, theatrical trailer. I think there's even one of those vintage featurettes from, like, 91 that played on HBO or something. So, oh, nice. Yeah,
0: it's great. Awesome. I haven't checked those out. Like I said, I, I did get the Blu-ray. I haven't checked it out. But, Jackson, when you're home for Christmas— We'll go for it if you want to. So, all right, Joel, thanks for coming back. Folks, stick around to see what we are covering next. Uh, we want to thank all of our supporters over at Patreon, like Joel, and you can <laughs> become one for as little as $2.50 a month. All proceeds go to the proverbial starving film student, Jackson. You can also help pick movies, see Jackson's video reviews, be on as a guest, etc. cetera. You can find more of us on Twitter at Father and Son Horror and Father and Son Watch Horror.com. And we have a slowly growing but closed Facebook page. Joel, where can they find you online, sir?
3: Uh they can find me at uh, Retro Movie Geek. That's the primary stomping grounds uh these days. We just got obviously um this will come out obviously when it's come out uh towards the end of November, right? So we're we're almost yep. a month removed from Spooky Flex Us. but all those episodes are still there. If you're having like a Halloween hangover and you want to uh listen to 20 different episodes of vampire talk uh definitely check that out Terror on the tube of course with peter peter and the wonderful allison uh we do that and you can check those out you can check out the werewolf uh tv series podcast which i did with Hammond. and i already mentioned that one so yeah check all that stuff out
0: yeah the werewolf one i really as well uh, and i've been on retro movie geek it's always a lot of fun uh and, and by the way i got confirmation that Dean Pitchford the screenwriter of Footloose and Covert All the Songs listened to that episode so um, and liked it so That's awesome. um, um but also Werewolf you got to watch I, I believe last time I checked all the episodes were on YouTube because I know they it's were, hard to find they,
3: it's so weird it's like they'll they'll be there and then they'll be gone for like 3 months and then they'll come back again
0: uh Watch yep. the watch the show, then listen to the episodes. That's one of the few TV shows in my life where I was just ticked off that it got yanked off the air. Yeah, because I lo- I loved it so much. It's like so many TV shows, overstay their welcome. Even the X Files, I hate to say, I think overstayed its welcome. Yes, it but. Did werewolf was gone too soon so was uh uh one of my favorite shows called action uh with jay moore which was based on the life of joel silver uh i wish that show was still out remember
3: that i actually now you say i I, took me a second i think okay i know jay moore and as soon as you did the joel silver thing i'm like oh crap i remember that yeah
0: yeah he's the jerk producer yeah yeah (laughs) Yeah, i love that show because it was so true to hollywood
1: so jackson where can they find you buddy You can find me on Twitter at Kane underscore Hero 12. That's (laughs) K-A-R-O-W-O. it's a struggle every week guys <laughs> k-a-i-n-e underscore hero 12 uh and you can find my letterboxed and uh and youtube links from there um and you can see what i rated last night in soho a new release uh, by edgar wright you can see that there so um yes and um and do, do you want to go ahead and announce dab what we're doing the rest of this month well yeah, yeah we'll do that in a second
0: um i just i'll just say real quick i can be found on twitter oh, and sure. letterboxd as pastor matt r i don't do politics i avoid negativity there's an of that out there although it is college basketball season um and so which is my favorite and so i may or may not say something nasty occasionally about duke basketball as a kentucky fan but that's to be expected because duke is evil and it's a well-known fact that coach (laughs) k sacrifices baby seals during black masses before every game that has been documented uh by the book duke sucks so it's out there in print form oh wait anyway So,
3: so he's like the cult in black christmas 2019 then yes Yes. OK, I got you. I'm tracking.
0: They, they actually took that from Duke Sucks, <laughs> That's what um, an it. unbiased evaluation of the world's most evil college basketball team, which <laughs> is a great book. Um, but anyway, uh-huh. so, <laughs> oh,
1: thanks, everyone, for listening. Jackson, what do we have coming up, buddy? We have a, a great pack of episodes coming up. Uh, we're coming at, later this week we're actually recording Blood Rage as voted by our Patreon and later our Twitter uh followers because it came to a tie on Patreon then it came to a tie on Twitter um How until like the very last it was a
0: tie between Texas Chainsaw Massacre 2003 and Blood Rage yeah. these are our Patreon supporters you yeah. know it ties there and then Twitter goes for Blood Rage
1: yep so that was and and you know also on the poll originally were Adam's family very wholesome right wrong turn you know modern classic but the it tied between Blood Rage, the 1987 Thanksgiving slasher, uh, and t- the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remakes. So this is what you people are doing to us. But anyways, Blood Rage, we're recording that later this week. And then later this month, The Burbs was Wolfman Josh. So that'll be a lot of fun. Talking about one of his favorite movies of all time. Uh, again, Joe Dante. We're, we're talking about a Joe Dante movie. So. Uh,
0: a movie I was – first of all, it's also Wolfman Josh. He's hoping to have his son on with him. So it's going to be yeah. father and son oh, cool. and father and son. And talking about The Burbs, one of his favorite movies, and also a movie I was on the set for. Yeah, you
3: know? he, uh, Wolfman did uh, The Burbs with us, I think. Oh, I mean, when was that? It was, it was, it, it's been a minute, but it was uh, it yeah. was a lot of fun. He
0: loved, man. He loves that movie. <laughs> yes, he does. Yes, he does. So, tune in for that, Joel. Thanks again, buddy. Uh, best to you and your family, Jackson. Thank you. say
1: goodbye to the good people. Goodbye, and make sure you watch your back tonight. I think you might have just broken mommy and daddy's hear-no-evil rule just by listening to this podcast episode.
0: (laughs) Good call. So until next time, remember that the family that watches horror together slays together.
1: Once again, I want to thank the great people over on Patreon Dave Becker, Greg Bench, Ryan Bratton, Dan George, Ian Urza, Kevin Corby, James mcfeeters Ashley Pinkard, Greg Amortis, and Pearl from LOTC, Raul Rivera, Joe Robertson, Greg Russell, Brian Scott, Stephen Sitter, Amy Swan, and Trey Webstone. Thank you all so much. You make this podcast possible. <laughs>
2: Lifeless eyes, black eyes, like a doll's eye. I don't want to kill you, but I will because I don't like you much anyway.